you know, it's exciting. You're on your own and you get to voyage. You can go anywhere in the world. You can speak to anybody. You can try anything. And you're not going to get in that much trouble for it. Hey, I'm Mike Stockport, and this is the One-Eyed Man podcast. I've been thinking a lot about leadership and especially in the business context, but the truth is that while we're at home during this lockdown period, a lot of us have got to think a little bit better and a little bit deeper about how we lead as parents and specifically parents of teenagers who are digitally connected, digitally enabled and arguably probably more digitally knowledgeable than most of us are. My guest on the on the podcast today is Dean McCubrey. He runs an organization called My Social Life, and their focus is developing tools to help children navigate the sometimes intimidating and downright dangerous world of the internet. They leverage psychological research and insight to improve self-esteem, they impart values, they build accountability, and a lot more. Dean's wisdom is profound and I'd argue uh, necessary for any parent who takes an interest in the happiness and fulfillment of their children uh, and especially while they're online. I hope you enjoy the show. Dean McCubrey, thanks so much for making time to chat to me today. I've been looking forward to this conversation for some time. Dean, you had a successful 20-year career in media and broadcasting. Uh, I know that you were a, a prolific voiceover artist, amongst many other things, and then had a, 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 well, a Damascus moment in 2012 that led to a completely new direction for you, maybe an evolution, right? Um, can we start there? What, what led to that 2012 moment, and what have you been concentrating your energy on over the last couple of years? Well, thanks, Mike. I mean, we, you know, it's... It's a really interesting kind of unfolding about what's happened to get me to kind of what I'm doing now with respect to educating kids. But originally, I had a number of different agencies. So uh, myself and a partner, John T. Fisher, who's quite well known in the in the ad game, yep. uh, we had uh, a business called Traffic Integrated Marketing. In fact, before that, we had this cute, tiny business, just the two of us, called SBMC, Small Business Marketing. And consultants. God, there's some good stories from that. Then we went on to create Traffic, which was like a little seven-person uh, agency, and that started to to grow on from there. It was like an integrated marketing agency doing all sorts of uh, you know different marketing channels, so you know web, social, uh, PR, uh, graphic design, and so on. And then we opened yeah. Bletchley Park, which was a creative problem-solving agency. Uh, and my role there was really kind of as executive chairman, which basically was just a glorified person who just talked a lot and went in to fix problems uh, while John T did a lot of the intelligent work. And then what happened was, was I'm kind of always been a very obsessive guy. I really love stuff. You know, a lot of people that know me say, God, you're passionate about stuff. And um, <clears throat> so I've always been kind of fairly full throttle. And I was very committed to you know, the agency and growing and to my partnership with John, so I'm still in business with elsewhere. But it, Sure. actually basically just burnt out, which is what a lot of people say in the industry is 
I, I just it's literally an adrenal fatigue, an adrenal burnout. And I decided I'd, it was kind of coming. Jonty knew as well. It was kind of coming that I needed to leave. So how did you know, Dean, that you were in that? Or did you not know it at the time? Did you did you get a sense of it retrospectively that you reached that, as you call it, adrenal burnout or adrenal fatigue? It was like it was like a tiptoeing towards uh, it. I kind of just knew that something needed to change. It was probably, uh, and let's face it, in all honesty, it was I that needed to change in terms of my attitude to, you know, trying to want to, you know, meet these deadlines and, and, and win clients and all that normal stuff, which is normal in agency. And it was a hell of a lot of fun. But, you know, it becomes very one dimensional. And so I think, you know, you start to become a bit disillusioned and you sit in those meetings and you go, oh, God, I don't know really anymore. You know, what am I doing this for? And so I decided yeah. to uh, it was it was a difficult process and I decided to depart. Uh, and then Kelly Putter came into our business is an amazing creative. And I left and yeah. then um, there was kind of a three way shareholding. Right. So I'm making a bit of a meal of this. But what was interesting is here's where the meat comes in. So I went home. And I decided to go on sabbatical. And in that sabbatical, then all the introspection starts to flood in. Actually, the kind of loneliness of your own thinking because you've not been busy. And I, I was really busted. I was really knackered and tired and, and basically became quite anxious and semi-depressed or depressed. You can't be semi-depressed mm. or depressed. I'm just trying to couch that. I was depressed. Let me say it again. Yeah. And emerging from that, I realized, hold on, you know, I want to do something which is beyond what I've been doing. I want to take the skill and I want to use it. And at that same time, I have okay. I have three daughters and they're all at different ages. And I was listening in their schools to how these kids were consuming media and the teachers didn't know what to do and the parents didn't know what to do. And the kids were at a loss and they were shaming and trolling each other and playing pranks on each other. And it was just this mess. And I looked and I went, God, you know, I understand media. I understand the crafting of the narrative. I understand the power of corporate brands. I I, I understand self-publishing and social media. And I was like, I get it. I should stand in the middle here. I should be, uh, I should stand in the middle of this line and say, well, this is what media does. And hey, kids, you know, this is something that needs to be carefully handled, which is essentially media literacy. You need to understand all these different components of media, digital media, social media. And there is so much in it. Once we get into it, there's so much in it. And then suddenly I found my spot. And that's where things started yeah. to really change. And it's a really beautiful kind of job that I have now. I'm really happy doing it. So this podcast is called The One-Eyed Man specifically because the nature of the world around us changes so fast. Our environment shifts so quickly that often we find ourselves in a moment uh, where it's difficult to track how we even got there. When things have changed so dramatically, it's, it's difficult to, almost like when you take a drive and you, you completely check out in the journey, arrive at your destination and don't remember making any of those turns or stopping at a, at a traffic light. Yeah. And sometimes uh, it, it feels like technology moves at the, at the same pace. Mm. And I guess what you're saying is so many parents or caregivers or educators were feeling like, We'd introduced an enormous amount of technology into our children's lives. We'd uh, introduced a whole new series of information sources. And this had all happened so quickly in sort of a five to 10 year span that nobody had really had the opportunity to sit down and go, but, but what does this actually mean? So classic example of the 
the, the land of the blind. <laughs> Everybody sort of moving in the same direction, but without any real thought or consideration as to why. And in that moment, you essentially put up your hand and said, I, I don't know everything, but I'm going to, I'm going to attempt at least and and hopefully with my experience and the set of skills that i've learned over the last couple of years develop a new way of thinking about this particular topic a hundred percent and what actually happened next was the next part of that chronology was that i sat down and i started looking at all the different aspects of you know how uh, media digital and social actually touches our lives and then i broke it down into these subsections and i was telling john t funnily enough john t fisher about it and he sent me this diagram um this is about it took me about 12 to 18 months of research that's how long it took it was like an opus it was beautiful wow and and john wow. sent me this diagram and it was the world economic forum's uh, digital citizenship pillars and the six mm. modules that i'd created were inside their eight modules and I was like, right, wow. So I called the World Economic Forum in New York and said, I'm coming to see you. This is what I've created. And I flew to New York and I met them uh, there and uh, I took them through it. And I said, can I borrow your other two modules? And, you know, can we work together? And they were like ecstatic. They were really warm and, and really positive about it. And then they said, hey, you should also talk to Common Sense Media, which is almost like the standard bearer for online safety. And they said, right, tomorrow we're right. setting up an appointment for you with Common Sense Media. So I went across to them, also super open, really amazing. They said, right, the vice president in San Francisco wants to see you on Tuesday. This is how things kind of unfold. And then Incredible. suddenly I had this thing. And then we started to understand, you know, what could they offer us? What could common sense offer us? And then it was this, this kind of uh, merging of all these amazingly well-backed, well-researched uh, curricula in with my own kind of localized content uh, across these eight modules of, let's call them digital citizenship or DQ, digital quotient. And then I just, you know, one door opened onto the next mm. door, like my very first presentation was in Pinelands in Cape Town. Somebody had heard about it and it was Mensa, you know, the really clever guys. And um, they'd said, look, would yes, you come and do yes. a And I did this talk to them and it was meant to be like, you know, 75 minutes. Two hours, 45 minutes later, we finished in this library in Pinelands. And I was <laughs> like, okay, people really want to talk about this stuff. And then after that, it was like literally people, suddenly from that one school called then another school called and now we are well, we can hardly cope, which is super. So there, there are many listeners that I think will be uh, a stranger to the work that you're doing, despite the fact that it, it's really exploded over the last couple of months and years. You, you're essentially working directly with schools and educators to help children at, and help me understand the age brackets here of, of a variety of different ages or stages of life to be more responsible about their digital usage, their internet journeys, their data and privacy related activities. Help us understand sort of in plain language what, what it is that you're focusing on. Okay, I'll give it to you one sentence. So the idea is to get children to move from safer, they need foundational skills of online safety, to then become smarter because when they're safer, 
everything that's in their brain will flag to them when there's a risk, which allows them to then behave smarter online and uh, be less at risk, which then allows them to actually explore more. They become more empowered and self-regulated, which later leads to excellence, which is very much the area which you and I love to talk about, which is, you know, the importance of digital transformation in schools, in corporates, you know, people waking up going, hey, guys, South Africa has an opportunity or Africa has this opportunity in the fourth industrial revolution to really nail it. You know, despite our problems, there are uh, almost ways around our current educational problems to embrace digital transformation. So safer, smarter kids online can explore and excel. How we do that exactly goes like this, is we go into schools and uh, we train uh, grade four to seven and also grade eight to 11 or eight to 12, depending on whether the matrics want to be trained or asked to be trained. And so two very different types of content. And we offer these eight modules. So eight hours of training over the course of either okay. a year or a couple of terms, depends what the school wants. We teach digital identity. We teach cyberbullying and empathy. We teach privacy. So how to set up your phone, yeah. what it means to lock up your doors and windows of your digital house. We teach external threats like cybersecurity. We teach digital resi resilience, the bounce back factor, the brain body connection. Uh, in terms of how your brain is responding to the stimulus and how it makes you feel like comparison, self-esteem, other aspects of mental health. We teach reputation management and digital footprints. So what you're putting out, how you can't get it back, what you can do when things go really wrong on you, you know, what the extent of some of the legalities are, like the work that Emma does, you know, all that type of stuff. And so this is what's insane about what we do is inside each module, I wish I could explain how many subsections there are. Like inside privacy, there's like 12 subsections. Inside critical thinking, mm -hmm. module number one, mm -hmm. there's like, uh, I think it's like 15 or 16 subsections of all the different, you know, fake news, catfishing, da-da-da, and it just goes on and on and on. And this is what our kids are actually experiencing online. So that's what they get taught. And you know what's so ins insane is that when I started it, I thought the parents would be the most excited group. Uh, and I thought the teachers would be the second most excited and the third would be the students. And it's exactly the other yeah. way around. Students are phenomenally hmm. responsive, despite being hormonal and teen. And I mean that actually with respect, despite being in a very vulnerable and developmental stage. But they're like, wow, sir. They call me sir. Hilarious. You know, wow, sir. Like th this content's like amazing. You're talking to us about our world, but you're doing it in kind of an educational way, which is kind of fun and kind of cool. And that, that, that is probably the word relatable is the thing that we're winning on most, I think, at the moment. So I think some of our, and when I say our, I mean the world, uh, the world's initial responses to the explosion of, of digital media and, and specifically around our children's and our teenagers' access to that media was regulation or, and monitoring, a kind of instinctive knee-jerk, big brother approach is, is don't and I'll, I'll watch you and if I catch you, you'll be in trouble. Your, your approach is focused far more around empowerment, which I think is rooted in some empirical psychological insights. Where did those, where did your, A, your interest in the psychology of digital media come from? And, and what are some of those insights that are driving the way you're designing learning products? 
And to answer your question directly, the, the reason uh, around the psychology aspect of it was actually from my burnout. And that's the thing, you know, everything plays a role in your life. You know, all these all these dots join up to create the line, whether it be jagged or <laughs> just a little bit bumpy, uh, about how you manage to get to where you are. The burnout, which had take me into, taken me into some what's called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is essentially understanding mm. how the brain works and, and why the brain uh, carves, you know, neural pathways or get trapped, gets trapped in these kind of loops, allowed me to understand or create the distance from, from, you know, what I was doing in my own life. But that's exactly the same with, with, with digital and social. Only if you can stand away from the device and the platforms and that you can have like a micro moment between you and what you are consuming, that is where the power lies. And when you look at children which are self-publishing or bullying or taking their clothes off and sharing photos with other people, uh, either strangers or boyfriends or whatever it may be, that's about the fact that that micro moment is missing. It's as simple as that. It's so crazy. And if you can empower them first to show them, hey, listen, let me show you the dynamics of what social media looks like, how it makes you neurobiologically and physiologically respond, which is the brain-body connection. Let me show you that. Let me show you that we're just computers. I talked to them about you know, their, IO, their own iOS system, which is essentially their subconscious. Mm. And um, I say to them mm. that, that this profound well of experience that sits inside you will respond to all sorts of stimulus and make you behave in a certain way. And that can get you into big trouble. So you need to understand partly yourself and partly the stimulus. Um, you know, what you're seeing, you know, that, that's why we're experiencing these self-esteem bombs is because we're looking at other people, uh, people's lives and not really fully grasping that we're consuming, you know, hundreds of images a day and not standing away going, cool, that's funny. It's entertaining. It's great. I love it, but it's not, it's not necessarily real. It's a snapshot. Now everyone knows that, but people don't know enough about that cushion of distance to go, cool, I get it. What's in my back pocket being a smart device or, or, or inside this feed is something that can educate me, it can promote me, it can entertain me, it can help me escape, but it's not the be all and end all of my life. And when you have that empowerment, you can then choose whichever one you want, but you need that cushion first. And so it all came from burnout and cognitive therapy. And then I started working with a guy called Dr. David Rosenstein, who's a neuroscientist and cognitive therapist, arguably one of the best in the country. And he was like, man, mm. you, you, you've got to push this thing. It's beautiful. He said, like, I have people, mm. teens coming into my rooms with paranoia and, you know, uh, body issues, massive anxiety based upon what's happening to them. He said, you know, and he really helped me craft it and supported me to, to start to dial up all the mental health and psychology aspects to the degree that we now train the Red Cross Children's Hospital Africa Child Psychiatry Unit. So we've done three sessions with them where we literally train them. Now, I have to sit yeah. with a group of academics, like, you know, 40 of them, including interns, so they're young. And they say, you know what, mm. there's so much stuff we don't know about this crazy, yeah. profound life online with all its jagged edges. And that is so damn exciting because what happens is they say, we understand symptoms, we understand treatment, but we cannot get a handle on this depth of context of all these different apps and platforms and ways in which people try and like spike each other and so on. And th that's what's happened to this thing is it's, it's just got so many dimensions that I kind of wake up at five at the moment without wanting to be part of the 5am club because there's so much to work on.
Yeah. It's a really interesting topic to think about in terms of cognitive response. I've had the privilege of being able to access the internet for more than half of my life. And and I, I don't remember at the time when I initially made that step change, that paradigm shift from, you know, looking at the Encyclopedia Britannica, <laughs> the 17-year-old dusty version of it that my parents had on the shelf. I don't remember making the transition from accessing that kind of information to this sudden deluge, this information highway, this unlimited universe of possibility. And, and so it feels like I've been doing that for a long time because I have been doing it for half of my life and I feel to some degree used to it. But if, if we think of that change in context of human evolution and and the, the, the development of the brain, it's literally happened a nanosecond ago. And in some senses, our minds haven't had the opportunity to catch up, to build resilience and adaptability around this new world of information. And I, I mean, I feel it myself, you know, I, I, especially now during this period of lockdown where I will log on to Twitter or hop onto Facebook and I will read some content. And often I'm hopping on, not because I deliberately want to find any piece of information. It's so habitual now, this sort of scrolling mechanism. And, and there are moments of, you know, kind of little laughs and a, and a funny meme. And I suppose that, that, that injects some good feeling chemicals into my brain and, and, and that's great. But then, then I read something that sends me into an absolute spiral, <laughs> like an a, anxiety <laughs> roller coaster. And I can only imagine that 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 is what so many and, and I mean pre-lockdown, that is the experience of so many young people who haven't developed Oh, not even just young people, any people, but haven't yet developed, I guess, techniques for combating the incredibly potent brain responses that we have to media. What are your thoughts about how we can become more resilient or how we can accelerate our brain's ability to adapt to that type of that type of content and that type of response yeah. to that content. It's kind of rooted, you know, I know it's the, the word of the of the decade or at least was before coronavirus, is 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 mindfulness. So my brother in lives in Vancouver, he is a mindfulness teacher. And um, mm. you know, I've been doing mindfulness meditation and so on. I do yoga. I've been doing it for like actually ever since burnout. So since 2013. And and in that, and look, it's a practice, it takes time, but as much as we uh create this habitual pickup of the phone and scrolling and escaping. And there's nothing wrong with that. You'll never hear me like knocking people about their their habits. The, the only thing I'm really interested in is that we start to look at the habits and that we kind of go, no, I'm comfortable with how much I use it. I'm, I'm comfortable with how reactive I am. I'm comfortable with how it makes me feel. Some people really are. Some people really aren't. Mm. And, it, and it comes to a mindfulness that just even this conversation makes you go, how often do I pick it up? So fortunately, we've got tools like Screen Time now and so on. But how often do I pick it up? But more than that, you use an app like Sanvelo, 
okay, which is a mood monitoring app. It's really good for people that are kind of struggling. But, you know, if you use a combination of Headspace, say, and Sanbello, so Headspace to try and create like these short meditations to create a little bit of space and just notice how your brain moves, and then Sanbello to actually map your mood monitoring, okay, so that you can actually work out when you're plunging, when you get angry. And if you look at that, you may find that there is a relationship between what you're consuming or the relationships that you're having with people that are actually triggering you. And and so, yeah. you know, the, the way through it is, is to start to develop this cushion. And you can do it cognitively. So you can do it, just go, oh, I'm going to catch myself. Or you can do it through something like uh, meditation or the use of headspace, which naturally forges the cushion open in your brain. It just creates a little bit more space. You notice yourself noticing yourself, if that makes any sense. It's an extra layer, yeah. standing standing away, one extra pace away. And and that is really the thing. And that's what we're trying to get. You see, the first step with kids, and, and, and here's the disadvantage for kids, the poor things, is that you know their prefrontal cortex of their brain is not developed and won't develop fully until they're 25. So first of all, they're going through all these yeah. hormonal changes. They're going through physiological changes. We see that in their faces and in their bodies. And neurobiologically, they're also going through those changes as well in, in their brains. So they are actually literally, this is the word, I say you guys are hot on the button, meaning you can be highly reactive, but hot on the button is way too literal and way too spot on for them. Because what happens is, is you're not thinking, you're triggered by stimulus, you have this reactive response and go. And that's why we're finding people who say, hey, take your clothes off, send me a picture. And they're like, why not? Hey, cool. Or, hey, I'm, yes. I'm going to yeah. send this thing out on WhatsApp, you know, like on cue me, why don't you go and kill yourself? You know, it sounds funny. I'm just going to be like kind of whatever, but there's somebody on the receiving end that is really suffering and then considering killing themselves. And these are the things, literally not being kind of, whatever you call it, sensationalist. These are the things that we see in school. Because when you look at identity, privacy, security, reputation, management, empathy, resilience, inside all of those, there is a moment for kids to be experiencing one of these many kind of subsections of what we're teaching, uh, critical thinking, catfishing. There are so many things which you can trip into that would make you hot on yes. the button and then make you have an emotional response, which is kind of pulling you in all yes. different directions. But if it continually pulls you downwards, that's where we see this gradual slip into low self-esteem, anxiety, depression, body dysmorphia, OCD, paranoia, you know, and, and, and these are genuinely realistic um, because we know, because we teach them. We teach 4,000 kids a year and we teach them eight times. That's like 32,000 seats of, of teaching people. Wow. And, and so, you know, if 10% of them come up and talk to you, and, and in the younger years, it's a lot more than 10%. It's about 25 to 30% actually come up after the session and they line up to tell you what's happening in their life online then you can imagine how much feedback we're getting. It's not like a normal presentation seminar. These guys line up and they say to you, okay, so then I was here and then this happened and then that happened. It means that really our content is being shaped by the, the very people that we're presenting to. So the people that we're seeking to teach are actually teaching us and we're teaching them back. And, and we're trying to just forge that gap open to allow them the space to then be able to perhaps respond a bit differently. But it just starts with trying to get their hand off that hot button. If this is your first time listening to The One-Eyed Man and you're wondering what I'm trying to achieve here, why don't you take a moment to go back to the trailer episode at the beginning of season one? 
It's really short, I promise, and will give you some insight and context. If you're enjoying the show, please consider sharing this episode or the One-Eyed Man channel with, well, all of your friends in the entire world. And now, back to the show. I imagine there are many parents listening to this uh, who find themselves in the same unique moment that you and I do as as parents of teens and, and teenagers where I don't think many of us would have experienced this much close habitation mm. uh, with our kids for such a, uh, an extended period of time. And, and in that, I guess we're learning a lot, not just about our personal relationships and the dynamics that exist between, between us and our teenagers, but also some of their behaviors when we're not around. And it's one of the, I guess, default responses, especially considering we're all feeling, I think, emotionally fatigued and anxious is to just relax and go, well, you know, let's just let them have access for now or, or not really worry too much about what they're busy with or, or, or what they might be doing, you know, as long as they're not outside and, and catching this, this disease, you know, that anything's better than that. And I'm, I'm probably simplifying this, but, but what, what, what does this moment mean in terms of an opportunity for us to reevaluate as parents the relationship that we have with our children and the, the media that they consume? And, and what would you be telling a parent who contacted you out of the blue to say, I, I want to spend the next week having really good, really meaningful conversations with my kids about their online profile, personality, journey, experience. H- how do I do that in a, in a meaningful and structured way without being condescending or patronizing or alienating them any more than any reasonable parent normally would with a teenager. How can we use this time in a, in a really productive way to recalibrate our relationship with our children and their, their digital journeys? It's a super cool question. I mean, what we need to do is realize that this weird situation of isolation has given us the together time actually to be able to spend some time on instilling our values. We call them digital values because we try and bridge the difference between offline values, either home values or the school's values or school's rules with digital values. Words like actually map out like, hey, you can walk the bridge from what we expect of you as our son or daughter, but we want you to understand what that looks like online. Now, when you've got together time, it means nobody can go anywhere. What we're doing sometimes is because we're overwhelmed or anxious or tired, or we just want to chill out ourselves and just use lockdown for whatever we want. We say, hey, go to your room. Cool. Look, it's special rules. You can do whatever you like. And that's up to the parent. Again, you won't see that I'll be nagging people because I don't know the difference between Stockforth's household and my household and John T. Fisher's household. You know, these are your household. They are your values. They are your systems. But I will say that the gift that you get given is the gift of time together, which is meals together and lots of discussions, could be board games, could be whatever that is, doing craft together with the younger kids. But in that, in that time is an opportunity to find out about their life online because most of the time they're at school. Now, if they're not at school and they're with you, you should take a special interest in what they're doing online, okay? Because actually this time is the opportunity to close this gap and to be able to help them walk that bridge about what your expectations are. But the problem is we often come at it 
in general, it, so this is outside of lockdown, we come at it a bit too heavy handed. We look at their TikToks and go, man, this is inane. This is, well, not everybody, but sometimes I hear people say, this is so inane. This is frustrating. Why are you wasting your time on this online? Or, gosh, you guys have just got your head stuck down all the time. Sure. First of all, we've got to accept responsibility. We gave them the device. We connect them to Wi-Fi. We buy them data in some instances. Not in every home, I get that. You know, some kids are earning their own data and I get all the nuances. But ultimately, we have been responsible for giving them the devices. So we've got to then rein that in because, as you said, nobody got educated on it. There was no map. And this opportunity is the opportunity to kind of almost quickly chart a map and most importantly, open that conversation because that conversation is education about A, values, digital values, and B, uh, about almost what are the things that they need to watch out for and how you do it is you say to them, so what's happening in your life online? A lot of kids don't want to talk about it. In our presentations, we'll probably see about four out of 10 say, we're not going to talk to our parents about it because they're going to lose their minds about what we're doing, playing games with strangers, mm. you know, all, all, all kind of manner of things. So you've got to kind of coax them out of it and perhaps then show them what you're seeing online or show them the difference between, yes. you know, the Department of Health's WhatsApp groups and some of the fake news that you see out there. Show them than the amount of fake news that there is out there. Show them that they don't yeah. know that this screen that they're holding to their faces is this live, true news feed. And then, you know, like, have a look at their phones and say, well, what are you, you know, what are you into? Are you into TikTok? If you don't know TikTok, you've got to go and look up parent tips plus TikTok on Google. You've got to do your own homework to understand it enough to get into that conversation and try not to yeah. initially get into the judgment aspect. You can do that later. Just open the door and find it interesting and fascinating during this next kind of week. And then you can start to say, well, you know, this is what I actually feel. And this is what we feel as a family. And this is where we think that we need to think uh, this is a way in which we should uh, go as a family around your usage. If you need to go harder than that, because you have a bit of an obsessive user in the house, you need to obviously create something that's more around an agreement. So in other words, if it's no longer this comfortable, let's all sit together and discuss your online life, you actually need to set very firm boundaries. And we have an agreement on our website, which is not saying you need to do this black and white meh, 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 robot stuff. It, it actually has open things. This is how how many friends we expect you to have, you know, like you can have up to 50, you can have up to 200, you can have up to 500 because some houses are liberal, some houses are conservative. This is the amount of screen time that you can have. So you can input there after a discussion with your kids and then use this as an opportunity to create a framework, but they will bounce against those boundaries. So they will push against them and that will be a bit of a battleground. That's why I say, first of all, is to actually create this thing where they go, oh, they're not so clueless, um, my parents. They're not boomers or they're not, you know, like these old farts. They're actually, they're, they're humans that are interested and they want to connect and they, they want to understand about my online life and you try it that way. If that fails, then, you know, and you need to be more kind of instructive or, or more specific, then, of course, you need to go to something like an agreement. And then you need to expect that they're going to bounce against it and that it's going to be a little bit rough for a while until they take you seriously. And that agreement should be 
pride of place on the fridge. And you can cut out tons of stuff that's in there. Don't take it too prescriptively. But, you know, it, those are really the two, the two opportunities for parents. But mostly, we've got to try and get closer because the closer we are, the more communication. The more communication it is, the more we can see their faces. The more we can see their faces, we can see their ups and downs. We can see their troubles. We can see mental health issues. We can see when they're being abused. But if we're not talking to them about their online life, and we're not finding out what they're using, we're not seeing what the risks are, uh, or whether their accounts are open or closed. I mean, there are so many issues that you can't tell. You are blind. And that really concerns me for parents. We actually teach parents and teachers and psychologists as well as students as well. I didn't really mention that at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, this that was something I wanted to touch on early on, but I couldn't think of the right way to articulate my thinking is that there's, there's almost there's three entities in the mix here. And, uh, and I mean, just in you know in my or your instance or at home uh, listeners that 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 are locked up with with family right now there's the there's the young person who's you know sort of connected there's the adult who needs to do their own sense of digital capability or, or go on their own journey of digital capability building and then there's this kind of third entity this sort of ether this the, the digital media thing which changes in its own right all the time there's always shifts and and evolutions happening in that space so it is a it is a really difficult space to navigate because of the amount of complexity. But I guess the advantage of this world is that there's no excuse, on, certainly on behalf of the parent, not to educate yourself, not to know, not to do the reading or do the work, as, as you've rightly said. Uh, you did mention the, the contract and the agreement on your website. And obviously, we're going to put your, all of the pertinent links in the, the show notes. And I'd love you to reiterate at the end. But, but just for, you know, in, in case somebody wants to go there right now and, and find that information, what is the URL that they would need to to visit? You go to www.mysociallife.com, but with one L, my social life, because the idea was originally it's my life, my offline life, and then you put the social in between, which is your social life, which is kind of, we've got to bridge and bring together your physical life and your digital life so that they become more congruent. So it's mysociallife.com with one L. Cool. Now, You've spoken quite a lot about this idea of digital values, and I, I don't want you to give away any of your, your IP and your hard work, but are there, are there common denominators in terms of digital values that you think, certainly as, as you pointed out earlier on, different schools, different families, different cultural nuances, different value sets will constitute the you know, kind of a customized or bespoke approach to developing digital values. But do, do you believe there are any that are absolutely consistent or non-negotiable for anyone, adult or child, that engages in the in the digital realm? Yeah, I mean, the two that spring to mind the most is obviously, it's, it's essentially uh, self-worth in, in one sense, the, the appreciation of yourself, that you're unique, that you're different, that people can't rob from you or steal from you with their words or their actions or their photos. It may hurt and they may try, but that there's this, this root of the fact that you were born into this world offline, but you are now a digital citizen online and that in whether whether that be in on school campus or whether that be uh, out in the internet that you are you you are different and there will always be tons and tons of people out there that will have something to say about you and that all you have essentially is for you to kind of start to 
that just value yourself that is really important i mean it's a perfect it really is is this concept of self-worth is so important because and we don't we spend very little on time on it it's unbelievable to for us to understand yeah. our kind of gloriousness and our difference and of course we teach our children you're wonderful and we love you and everything but we need to teach them about what that means how you identify it how you see it what does self-worth look show me somebody that has real self-worth what does somebody that has self-worth sound like? What do they say? What do they do when they're intimidated or bullied? Which comes to my second one, which is which is the abuse of other people, intimidation, harassment, bullying, is, is that kindness is just absolutely central. You know, you will get antagonized, but in that cushion, when you start to get antagonized, we show them all these really fantastic tools about what is their next move when someone is flaming or trolling you. And in inside, you know, the values what we've got to understand is we are kind, we are generous, that, that this stuff is really important in life. We're going to need that to get through because dragging around that negativity often attracts more negativity to you. And that's the same in terms of life online. You, you are negative or controversial or harmful online. Sure, you might feel like you are asserting your dominance and kind of having a bit of an illustration of power out there. But most people actually think that, you know, people can see you for what you are and people steer clear of you or they may pretend to like you, but you've really largely only got trouble coming your way somewhere down the line. And, and we need to show them that. We need to show them these really important things around you're amazing, you're different. It's hard to see. It's hard to hold on to that. Um, but these are the things that which we need to hold on to as a person. And we talk about like, you know, how you can spend that time just before you go to sleep to always hold on to, to always hold on to that you know, those last three minutes before you sleep are really important because it's what you're putting into your brain. So there can be all of that noise that happens throughout the day from other people, all your own thoughts, which often try and self-defeat you. But you get to put that to bed. You can process it, let it out, and then start to think about the things about, you know, what is important to you and what is great about you. And this sounds very cheesy to some people, perhaps. I'm, I'm knocking myself down here. But, you know, with the work that we've done about about the the importance of how we're programming our mind, the stimulus, the content that goes into our mind all day long is creating this perspective of how we view life. So we have to keep course correcting and they need to see that as a bit of a practice just before they go to bed because they're almost sending themselves off with uh, like a clearance of the negative and a reestablishment of their own worth. So the first one is build your self-worth. What You mentioned that there were two. What is the second oh, value you believe in? Was intimidation and bullying, kindness. Yes, yes. So those, In the sense that that's just always the default or what is the principle? Well, well, the principle is, you know, essentially in families, you know, the, the thing would be that we are kind and generous and that we see the value in another human being. We understand that they're different and that we don't need to suppress or uh, belittle or ridicule another human being. We don't need to kind of assert our dominance over those people. So uh, that's really, that's really the essence of it is that, is that by behaving kindly and generously and accepting other people's difference, it creates that same flow of 
kind of positivity. Exactly those same things will actually come back to you. And when they don't, so in other words, when you are flamed and trolled, what you need to do inside that cushion is you need to make the right decision to get away from it. Because what you normally want to do is you want to fight it. You will immediately, the, the cognitive therapist that we work with takes a belt out. So David Rosenstein, he takes a belt out and he makes you hold the belt and he says, right, get it off me, get the belt off me. So immediately you're in a tug of war with him. Physically, you're literally doing this. I do this with the students. I call up some kind of strong girl or boy that wants to come up. And then we get into this battle. I say, get it off me. And then I say to them, like, okay, start saying bad things to me and I'll say some bad things back. And then at some point I just let go because the, the kids are all screaming, go, go, go. And then you just let go. Yeah. And then everyone's like, oh, and I say, okay, throw me the belt back, sorry. And they throw the belt back and you don't take it. And you say to them, that is your only choice because that person is wanting you to take that belt. They need that resistance. And as hard as it is, come offline, they're going to find somebody else. You need to find support in that time because it will have hurt your feelings. And you need to realize in that cushion, you have a choice, which is to block that person, to get away from that person and to seek support from somebody else. So kindness and generosity is 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 really important and it includes being kind to yourself yeah it's it's a harrowing thought as a parent that um the way my child behaves on the internet good and bad is probably uh, in some way or in some major way connected to the values that they've they've learned in our household, in our family, and in watching us. And I know that sounds super obvious, but I've never really thought of it in those terms. Digital is essentially a magnifying glass of the values you've taught your child. And and that's that's a that's a scary thought, isn't it? It, it is, it is. And you know, this value system is is really, really central. We often don't think about the importance of what we stand for as a family and what images we portray as a couple in front of the kids, the things that we say, whether we, you know, whether we're hypercritical of people, whether we want to get revenge on people. And again, I'm not here to tell anybody about how they must live their life. I am gonna say, and most psychologists, I'm sure probably all would say is that the children are picking up all these cues, these gestures, these facial movements, the words. You know, we are such expressive creatures and that they are ultimately just sponges and mirrors and that what they see, they pick up and that sometimes you have to fake it in front of them, you know, uh, about, about if you are experiencing a certain vengefulness uh, and you park it and go and tell your wife rather who will be happy to listen rather than blurt it out because these are the messages that and the cues that they pick up and and see as uh, oh perhaps this is the language of the home and of course that can spill out in their life online when you're not looking over their shoulder they can see that perhaps you know gaining revenge or saying something mean about something is more normal hey that's the language of the home and so that's my language mm. of me and my life online and that's not, the, I must just, to your defense, or to anybody's defense, look, there's also a huge amount of exploration online with your different personalities when you're sure. You know, you sure. want to kind of, you want to put on these different disguises, you know, there's a whole lot of voyeurism and, you know, that's the premise of catfishing, you know, put on somebody else's uh, account or profile and pretend to be them and then get out there into the internet and see if you can either dupe somebody, date somebody, cause some havoc, 
intimidate somebody, whatever it may be. You are testing aspects of your personality that you wish you could just see what it feels like to use. And, and so that's not always about the family. It's just about, you know, that's the thing about online is when you go online, unless you have that awareness and that guidance from family and the education and that culture surrounds you at school around what this thing about your digital life is, then otherwise you're just kind of almost going backstage, which is like going through the screen and into your life online. And you're wandering around backstage going, now this is interesting. I wonder what I can do here. Let me go check out some porn. Uh, I'm going to go and see if I can get a you know naked photo of somebody using a different. You know, it's exciting. It's you 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 on your own and you get to voyage uh, around. You can go anywhere in the world. You can speak to anybody. You can try anything. And largely, you're not going to get in that much trouble for it. And we need to be able to show them what it actually really looks like backstage. That when you're making those connections to people, that thing can backfire on you or you can hurt people's feelings. And that there's some really dark corners of backstage as well. And um, it, it really takes some time about developing, if you think about the amount of time online that kids spend, it's become extremely competitive with what they do with their life offline, you know, in, in, in real life. And so we need to take it a mo- lot more seriously about Okay, what do we stand for? What do we want our child to stand for and work towards? And how does that look like online? And it's it takes some real work. Um, I mean, we could teach, God, we could teach every week an hour instead of just eight modules. We'd like to do like 32, which is of course the plan which you and I have discussed later mm, on mm. down the line. So speaking of of hard work and and what you're busy on right now, unfortunately, there's only one Dean McCubrey and you can only present to so many children at a time. You're you're doing a lot of work to, in essence, productize some of what you've learned and developed so that it can reach more people than I guess you can in person. Tell us about some of the work that you're doing right now and, and what you're learning through that process. Yeah, I mean, look, the first thing that we did really interestingly is we took all of the content from from training psychologists and created a school counselor, mental health professional and GP video program so that they knew the questions to ask their patients about uh, what what they need to know. But we then took that, all of those learnings, and we are now creating that course as a video program which is now available. So these eight video modules uh, will be available to schools so that an LO teacher, life orientation teacher, tech teacher, pastoral can can actually take it and almost watch the, the teachings, the videos, the animations. There's a lesson plan, there's a test and a quiz. And what happens is they can pause it, they can say, right, guys, okay, we're going to go and do a workshop on this. We're going to have a debate about this topic. What did you think about what my social life had to say there? Do you believe it? Do you yeah. agree with it? And so on. And it means that literally it is now something that can complete can be completely self-managed by the LO teacher because LO is such an important tool, but essentially how can an LO teacher grasp the extent of the internet and actually teach digital LO in the same way that there's sex education, there should be digital sex ed. And so that's what we're wanting to do. We're wanting to get LOs or life orientation teachers or tech teachers empowered to run this program themselves with a remote control, a lesson plan and tests. And I'm really super excited about it, bouncing up and down about it. 
yeah, <laughs> your enthusiasm for the topic is always hu hugely inspiring, and, and it challenges me, I think, to be more, much more intentional about my approach as as a digital or rather a parent in a digital world. As as an individual parent, can I access this content? Will I be able to? What what will what will be my way of of interfacing with the work that you're doing? Yeah, because we put the time into the student modules. The parent module is the one that we are producing at the moment. So uh, okay. there will be a parent module. There's going to be webinars. Um, people can actually access this webinar, come online, ask questions, and we're going to show them what that digital and social landscape looks like, go through the agreement, all those types of things, look at the different apps. It's, it's a great, it's what we normally present to parents. And that would be something that parents can actually subscribe to and just pay, uh, download themselves, and then be able to uh, watch it with their husband or wife or whatever it may be uh, or, or not and be able to go through it with a glass. It's a little bit like a book, but you just sit mm. together and both watch it and make some decisions together about values, agreements, apps that are permissible, online time, what are the signs you need to look for with respect to mental health and all of those types of things. So, but that was probably only going to be ready, I would imagine, the following week. Um, so webinar on Thursday and downloadable video program the following week, just before we finish lockdown. Amazing. Okay, so we've got mysociallife.com with one L. That's that's one of the places I can go to access some of these resources, to get in touch with you if I want to find out more information, to book you to do a talk, to set up a web, whatever it might be. Where else could I interact or connect with you online if if I was so inclined? Yeah, so you can get us also on the social channels, so Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram via at my social life. SA, again, one L, and the SA standing for South Africa. So at My Social yeah. Life SA. And I would also say, you know, to, to email us, uh, or you can call us, but email us uh, on info at mysociallife.com with your questions, you know, with wanting to get this program into schools. So we either teach it physically or now via video, um, or if you want a parent presentation at your school or checking in on the date that that parent presentation is ready and so on, just make contact and say, gosh, you know, I've been thinking about this because what we really need, and this is probably my best parting point is, this thing's not going to change without champions. So when we go to schools, we it takes a bit of time. There are some amazingly brilliant progressive principles out there. But a lot of people say, nah, we got it covered. We're doing it in LO and so on. I, I Honestly, it's not arrogance. I don't know how you could cover it in LO because we have a whole team of people here that are covering apps, sites, hoaxes, uh, scams. How could you cover that and, and, and really mm. up to date and be really relatable if you, first of all, you're a teacher inside the school, which makes it difficult for people to open up. And second of all, if this thing is moving and evolving so quickly. So we need champions who say, you know what, I am going to speak to my principal about this and I'm not letting it go. Because what happens is people go, oh, you know, you need to gather a few parents and say, we really want this thing. It's important. You know, we are, from my understanding, we are really kind of number one at the moment. You know, we are in lots of schools and we're getting phenomenal data. I mean, students are coming back with, I mean, we've had 99% in one survey said we would change our behavior based upon what we saw. 99. It's always above 80. Always above 80. That's four or five mm. kids saying, you know what, 
good effort, man. Like, you know, you know, that's the thing. And I mean, I'm very conscious of them going, who is this guy? But for some reason, I make sure that I get a lot of other people to uh, do my bidding. Lots of great rappers and poets and poets and artists and videographers and bloggers and influencers who've all got great messages that are saying what I want to say, but they're just cooler than me. And uh, in the same way that I use those champions to get my message out, I need you, the listeners, to be the champions of making this change in schools because it is really possible, and I promise you, it will show results. Dean, you're an absolute mensch. Thank you so much for taking the time. I've learned a ton as always, and I can't wait to see the future and the impact of the continued work that you're doing in this uh, in this space. Thanks, Mike. Always chatting to you is literally such a pleasure. You and I could be rapping for another couple of hours. Well, in the interest of the listener, we probably shouldn't. But thank you again and uh, chat to you soon, friend. Okay, man. Take care. Thanks, eh? You've been listening to the One-Eyed Man podcast. I'm Mike Stopforth, an entrepreneur, writer, and public speaker, deeply curious about discovering better ways to lead and better ways to live in an increasingly complex world. I find the best source of these ideas is the experience and wisdom of interesting people who are taking unconventional approaches to solving the world's most compelling problems. If you'd like to hear from someone I haven't yet spoken to, visit mikestopforth.com, click on the podcast link, and send through your suggestions. A big thanks to the Solid Gold Podcast Studios in Johannesburg, South Africa, for making this production possible. And remember, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man slash person is king. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.